This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Right now, we're going to have a chat uh, about what's going on in Ukraine. We haven't updated this quite as much as we used to. But we know that the battle rages on, right? Um, and uh, it looks like it's going to be waging on for a long time. There there are more and more announcements all the time, different countries stepping in, offering more support. So that continues. And uh, it's been one year now. Last week, February 24th, marked one year since this invasion began. So... Um, Things have changed a lot on the ground in Ukraine, and they, you know, they're adapting. They're they're coming up with ways to um, do some of the things that are so important, and are making it so that this war is continuing. Because remember, a lot of people thought it wouldn't. A lot of people thought this would really be short lived, but it's not. So we're actually seeing some of the infrastructure that was destroyed rebuilt. But it's spotty, and there's different ways that they're accommodating that. And Justin Ling um, is a reporter, a freelance reporter, who just put together a great piece. Um, you can read it on Wired, if you want, about how people in Ukraine are actually managing to come up with ways to keep the lights on, basically, and keep communication going. It's really fascinating. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You know, of course, you know, we don't want to talk about, or I guess I don't even know what the word is, lose sight of what's important. We, we Thousands of lives have been lost, and I think that, you know, there's no saying that, oh, things are going great for Ukraine. But I, I think we have to acknowledge the fact that Part of this battle, as much as it's been uh, about territory and things like that, it's also been about communication. It's been about the narrative. It's been about perception, right? Russia has targeted uh, communication channels and things like that right from the start of the conflict, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with pointing out uh, that Ukraine has done a remarkable job of reconnecting themselves and that they've prioritized, actually, staying connected. They have prioritized, you know, remaining on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. And and we know that because uh, President Vladimir Zelensky has said it repeatedly. I mean, he's made it really, really clear. Um, And there's a bunch of good reasons for it, right? Ukrainians want to continue showing the world uh, what's being done to their country by Russia. Uh, They want to stay connected with each other. They want to make sure that if there's an airstrike in Lviv, that their you know their their family in Kiev yeah. know that they're they're safe. Um, you know they want uh, to have that uh, flow of information. The, the Ukraine is actually one of the most connected countries in the world. Uh, Ukrainians rely on uh, social media and the internet for news and information more than most other countries, rivaling Canada and the U.S. Uh, in fact, Ukraine even has a digital passport. First country in the world to move to a digital passport. So this is a very connected country. And on the flip side, Vladimir Putin knows that. It's why he has targeted since the very beginning uh, technological infrastructure, telecommunications towers, the power grid. In fact, uh, Russian soldiers in the very beginning of this war, uh, would actually disconnect the fiber optic cables that bring Internet to the east, hooking up local villages in Donetsk, Donbass, Kharkiv, areas around the east, hooking them up to Russia's heavily censored, heavily right. monitored version of the Internet, uh, specifically to try to deprive Ukrainians of that information, of that lifeline, of that ability to get uh, news out to the rest of the world. What about Elon Musk and the Starlink? That was a thing in Ukraine for a while, right? Is it still part of the prog- the program here, or has that gone away now? 
No, it's still around. So, so from the very, very beginning, uh, as Ukraine was uh, trying desperately to stay online, as their internet was uh, going up and down, as those airstrikes were targeting uh, cell phone towers and the like, uh, Elon Musk and his company uh, SpaceX stepped in, uh, thanks to a bunch of money from NATO, the U.S., the EU, and others, uh, and provided Starlink to Ukraine for more or less free, at least free for Ukraine. Uh, and Starlink provides very uh, low-latency, high-speed internet using a, a litany of, of satellites that are in low orbit. It makes it really hard to block, really hard to disrupt. It's super reliable. It's super fast. And all you need is a little tiny terminal uh, hooked up to a, a low amount of power. And you can power, you can hook up an entire town. Uh, I, was, I was speaking to senior Ukrainian officials who told me in the early weeks of the war when there was a fear that Kiev could fall and there was a fear that uh, Russia actually could overrun their defenses, Starlink was the only thing keeping them online. Uh, so it was incredibly important. But over the last several months, Elon Musk has signaled that he's not quite yeah. as uh, uh, you know supportive of the Ukrainian mission as he used to be, uh, particularly because he's uh, you know, basically saddled himself with a bunch of debt after buying Twitter, uh, but also because he's starting to, frankly, buy into Russian disinformation. You've seen him on Twitter uh, suggesting that Ukraine should essentially surrender, suggesting they should give up their territory, suggesting that supporting Ukraine is tantamount to rushing us towards world. World War Three, And in fact, his company uh, signaled over the last couple of weeks that they intend to stop Ukraine from using Starlink uh, to connect their drones, uh, basically weakening an incredibly useful uh, technology that enabled their, uh, their drone operations. So they've been looking, Ukraine has realized that Starlink may not be a permanent solution, and they've started looking for long-term, durable alternatives. And when, you, when you're looking for those alternatives, I mean, we can talk about all the different ways of communicating. Bottom line is they need power, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. They need to find a way to keep an uninterrupted power support, uh, supply available, and they've done some remarkable things in that area. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, so, so Ukraine's uh, mobile and internet technology is actually pretty good. They have a really competitive market for internet service providers or ISPs. More competitive, by the way, than Canada. Um, you can get 100 megabytes a second, which is pretty fast for about six bucks uh, American a month, which nice. is a great deal. Yeah, um, and, and 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 so it's it's actually they actually have good bones, good infrastructure, and they've done a lot over the last year to rebuild the things that have been struck uh, by strikes and to make them more resilient. Here's the big problem. Um, your, your, your information technology is only as good as the power grid supplying it. Yeah. If Russia is, is successful, as they have been repeatedly, in knocking an area offline of striking uh, power lines, of hitting power generating plants, um, then your, your, your mobile infrastructure can't work. It needs power to pump out that cell signal or the Internet signal into the surrounding area. So, um, you know, in the West... We're, 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 we have a pretty good grid. Uh, if the power goes down, our cell phone towers will connect to a generator or a battery, and it'll stay online for a number of hours. That works fine for us. For Ukraine, where you could be offline for 10, 12, 24, 36, 48 hours, eventually those generators, those batteries run out. Yeah. So what they've started doing is crowdfunding, finding sources, finding NGOs who can start supplying them with huge numbers of lithium-ion batteries, those high-capacity batteries, and hook them up to those telecommunications towers. They've done so. They've actually already added thousands of these batteries, enabling uh, huge parts of the country to stay online 
even if the power is out for a day, two, three, four, five days. It's a remarkable advance that they've done uh, largely unnoticed over the last couple of months, and it's made sure that even if they're in the dark, they can still stream to TikTok, they can still upload videos to YouTube, they can still get news, their their airstrike alert app will keep working. Right. Yes. It's a pretty remarkable bit of technology. It is. It's absolutely incredible and so vital and so important to, to the people there. And how does Canada fit in? Because in your writing, you're talking about how a company in Montreal all in the Canadian government. Canada's playing a bit of a role with these batteries, right? Yeah, so there's some big telecos in uh, Ukraine that have financed these batteries all on their own. Um, but there's a whole bunch of smaller ISPs that connect a huge part of the country who haven't been able to source those batteries. The prices have skyrocketed, in some cases tripled. So they've needed friends and allies around the world to start sourcing and exporting those batteries so that they can connect to their grid. Um, the Canadian government came through with a grant that went to a small cybersecurity firm out of Montreal called called Equality, uh, and that, that that grant helped them buy, uh, I think, basically like three kilos of batteries, hundreds of batteries, um, which are helping tens of thousands of people, particularly in the hard-hit East, stay connected. Um, that company, Equality, is now crowdfunding for a whole bunch more. Uh, they're hoping that they can do another whole shipment of these lithium-ion batteries to Ukraine in the next couple of weeks or months, uh, and, and to start working with more partners, more ISPs to basically make their uh, telecommunication system more resilient uh, to make sure that more Ukrainians can stay online and to make sure basically the country can can withstand uh, more and more airstrikes uh, that will eventually, the hope goes, uh, eat up Russia's ability to wage this war uh, and keep Ukrainians resilient, optimistic, and hopeful, uh, even as this war drags into its second year. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, you talk about these battery supplies and staying connected, and you know, in terms of just the morale and and keeping, like you say, this conflict um, from becoming something that it hasn't been at this point. It's so vitally important to the people of Ukraine to have these lines of communication open. I mean, it, it's it's essential, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like such a wonky thing to talk about these batteries. But in very real terms, uh, it's what's keeping you know, Ukraine together. I mean, there are, you know, there's a ton of folks who are still in Ukraine, right? Um, the vast majority of the country has either stayed or come back over the past year. These people are still working. You know, they're still contributing to the global economy. There, there are still people who uh, are working for Western firms, for Ukrainian firms, uh, who are doing graphic design projects, who are uh, editing uh, films, who are Making video games um, to keep that country going, to keep um, Ukraine, you know, uh, working, to keep mm-hmm. it employed, to keep it happy, to keep it um, safe, to, to, to preserve their mental health. Um, keeping them connected to the internet is vitally important, and these batteries uh, ensure that that continues. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's ingenious, really, and it's it's amazing to see you know, how they're just managing to keep things going. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for the story. I really appreciate you joining us today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.